Welcome to SRI Illusions. We have a great show planned today. We have a uh, senior advisor for the Mike Graval campaign. We have Adriel Hampton here to talk to us about this is actually uh, this is a big week for politics and for the Graval campaign because in uh, just uh, 24 hours or so we're going to or maybe a little bit more. We're going to hear uh, that we're going to hear from the DNC as to which uh, which candidates made the debate cut for next week's debate. And uh, from the, the way it's shaping up, um, the Graval campaign passed the donor threshold. But, Adriel, do you, do you actually you want to tell us a little bit about yourself first and then uh, we can hop into that? Yeah, sure. And it's funny, it's um, you're pronouncing my difficult to pronounce name perfectly, but it's Gravel. He's actually uh, he's like was, I think, uh, raised in French Canada. Yep. Um, for the first years of his life. Um, and it's funny because everyone says, you know, the, uh, the nickname for the campaign is the Gravelanche. And, you know, that doesn't, does not pronounce, does not teach people how to pronounce the name. Um, the Gravelanche. Yeah, the Gravel, the Gravel, Gravel, Gravelanche, Gravelanche. Um, this was a really big week, uh, for the campaign, not only because we had this amazing surge. Um, with about 20,000 people donating the campaign for the first time uh, in the past week, um, but also because we hit the threshold for being certified uh, for the debates uh, via grassroots donors. And uh, the Gravel campaign, you know, um, I guess I'll, I'll introduce myself and then we can can talk about the campaign because there's, there's definitely tons to talk about. Uh, I'm a political consultant. I live in San Francisco. I've volunteered for the campaign uh, for Mike Cravel since April. And reason being is, is really, one, it's just a very interesting campaign that's run uh, almost entirely online. And second, he's, uh, Gravel and the, the folks closest to him ran the campaign as uh, an anti-war campaign, an anti-imperialism campaign, talking about American empire, talking about um, treating people around the world like we would like to be treated instead of thinking that somehow because we're uh, here in the United States, our, our human rights are more important. Um, not only did Gravel talk about reparations, he talked about reparations for everyone that U.S. policies, uh, particularly war, uh, have harmed. Um, so consultant out in San Francisco, I... Um, in addition to, to volunteering with Mike Gravel as a senior advisor, uh, I work with uh, Shahid Buttar, who is the uh, Democratic challenger to Nancy Pelosi here in San Francisco. He's primarying Nancy Pelosi in District 12, California's District 12. Um, and I also run a PAC uh, called the Really Online Lefty League. Um, and what we did with the Gravel campaign was just right up my alley because I really uh, enjoy being online. Uh, I really enjoy using uh, Twitter for politics. Uh, I think Twitter was the number one platform for Microvel, although uh, we also used, you know, the Instagram game was really hot. Um, he was really hot on Reddit. Um, personally, back in 2009, I ran for U.S. Congress, and it was kind of a, uh, really a tilting at windmills thing. I didn't at that time in 2009 really know what I was doing. I'd been a reporter and I'd worked for the government, but I'd never run for office and I never, I'd covered campaigns as a reporter, but that doesn't really prepare you. And I never worked inside one. Um, and, uh, I got more Twitter followers than votes for that. 
Um, but it was an interesting learning experience. I went on to work for a company called Nation Builder that works with um, campaigns and candidates to provide web infrastructure. I worked there for four years, and then uh, I've been doing my uh, consulting firm for about four years, working with all kinds of different candidates, particularly on the federal level. Um, yeah, but back to Mike Gravel, this week was amazing because we uh, saw this massive donor surge. A lot of it was propelled by um, uh, support from Marianne Williamson, uh, who sent out an email saying, you know, get Mike Gravel to the debates. It was also really fueled just by urgency. Uh, people who don't have a lot of uh, experience fundraising online for politicians don't realize how big a role urgency plays. You know, when you're down to the wire, people will often give and do things that they won't do. You know, I was texting people and calling people, you know, friends and family saying, just, just one dollar will, you know, will get Mike Gravel to the debates because he needed 65,000 donors to get certified. Um, and we can talk about, you know, where things stand today because you're right. I mean, we're here. It's, it's Tuesday, July 16th and, um, the DNC is kind of compiling its list of, uh, of folks who, who they will allow on the debate stage. It's pretty insane because in 2008, Mike Gravel ran. It was the same year Dennis Kucinich was also running. Both of them appeared in a lot of debates, although they were excluded. At least Mike was excluded from some. Um, but here we are in 20, 20 and there's like just you know a massive effort to not let every candidate speak now part of that is because there are a lot of candidates right now there are about 24 candidates in the democratic primary who are you know serious campaigns uh competing for for what the dnc says it will limit to 20 debate slots um at the second democratic debate and they're doing those over two nights this coming one is july 30th and 31st in detroit yeah it's Really frustrating. So the uh, for people listening, the the two criteria for the the qualifying the debate. So you um, they have a, a donor threshold, which is sixty five thousand for the July thirtieth and the thirty first debate. But then there's also a polling threshold. You're supposed to quali- You're supposed to uh, hit at least one percent on three national polls. And for the Gravel campaign, that that's that's a uh, um, to call it an uphill battle is um, maybe not even fair because the the way the DNC has uh, situated this is because places like CNN and the New York Times uh, have not even been listen, uh, listing Senator Gravel on any of the on a lot of these polls. It's kind of like trying to climb up a, a metal wall that's you know covered in lube. It's uh, right. How are you supposed to get to the top if they're not even? Um, you're not even on a poll and it's it, it, for all the for all the talk of um how the DNC wanted to do this differently from the way last uh in 2016 what the Republicans did was they had uh they they separated the candidates from uh sort of the more top tier and by top tier that would even go down to people who were polling at 1 or 2% but the people below that would be relegated to a second debate, which was kind of called the undercard or the kids table. And the DNC wants to uh, avoid that. And yet, I mean, this polling, when you see people like John Delaney or Tim Ryan or uh, Hickenlooper, it's, it's ridiculous to see what these guys are, uh, think they're doing when they get qualified on a, when they get put on a poll and it's, it's not rocket science to get 1% on these polls. But you can't get 1% if you're not even on it. It's ridiculous. 
Right. And I, I mean, I think that something like, I think our, our analysis, and I'm not the one who did it, I just reviewed it quickly, but it's something like 59% uh, of the polls that the DNC says are qualifying polls didn't include uh, Mike Gravel. And that was despite our repeated contacts with the pollsters, uh, repeated outreach to the DNC. So, um, I think the thing that's really interesting, right, is that a poll, it's pretty easy to get 1% in a poll because only maybe three or four people have to pick you to, to get 1%. You just need your name to be mentioned. So the fact that Mike was systematically excluded from these polls uh, is tremendously biased. And I think that what's going to be interesting is if you are a Bernie Sanders supporter, if you're a Marianne Williamson supporter, if you're an Andrew Yang supporter, um, you are probably thinking that the DNC may be out to screw people. And this will be the first uh, instance of that, because if they exclude Mike Rell from the debates after getting 65,000 donors, because they say that he didn't get enough polls, he does have two now, um, but it's a, it, they want you to have either three 1% polls or 65,000 donors, uh, and then there's a tiebreaker. And because, uh, you know, 95% of the other candidates, I think Wayne Messam from Florida probably gets left off some, um, and he's, you know, uh, running, I think a, a serious campaign, although not as strong as, 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 as Senator Gravel's. Um, the other thing is that, that Mike Gravel was a, uh, two-term Alaskan Senator. Like he's, you know, earned his place in the kind yeah. of government family. Um, and so to exclude someone because of their age, uh, because of their, um, uh, you know, cause that's what they're really doing here. They're saying, oh, he's not actively campaigning in Iowa. Well, he's 89 years old. He's not going to – he's there to put important issues on the stage. But Mike Ravel has um, – I, I, I believe the term is neuralgia. Like he has very little feeling in his hands and his feet. He uses a cane. He's very mentally spry, um, as you can see from the interviews he's been doing throughout the campaign. So he's interviewed with uh, mainstream press, with a lot of progressive press, with a lot of uh, you know, smaller podcasts. Um, and, you know, to say that he's not actively campaigning and shouldn't be polled is uh, a clear and, and actually obscene bias. I mean, it's really yeah. I, I get really angry about it. I would like but uh, because I'm working on this Pelosi race, you know, I have other places to to point, you know, my my outrage. But, um, you know, I think that when you have 65,000 donors, I wish, you know, we. Uh, we would say, you know, we need a class action against the DNC on behalf of those donors because it's, um, as I said, you know, three people who get polled can put someone into the debates, but uh, 65,000 donors can't. And that just shows you that the DNC really did want to make sure that no one was able to do something um, that didn't have to pass through the establishment because the pollsters like the whole practice of polling is an establishment practice. It's not yeah. that accurate. Um, you know, the, the polls change dramatically over time. They sometimes will tell you good stories about who the front runner is presently. Um, or even seeing that, you know, move around a lot, especially after Joe Biden got into the race. So, um, yeah, if, you know, as a donor, as a donor who recruited many others and as someone who spent probably hundreds of hours, on the campaign over the past few months, uh, I'm pretty outraged. Well, I, I mean, polls frustrate me for a lot of reasons. The media goes, goes off them a little too much. I'm, I'm questionable, uh, how much 
they're able to gauge millennial support. A lot of polls are conducted over stuff like landlines, which right. Um, yeah, in fact, we did find that the polls that have an internet component are the ones where Gravel did better. So, right. I mean, yeah. it's very clear that like uh, if you're running an online campaign, um, most people now get their news online. So you have to include that component. And I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's pretty strange. We're in a big transition in American politics and, uh, you know, the, the people who are in power now, you know, if you're like these polling firms make a lot of money, you know, polls are expensive and, um, everybody wants to hold on to the existing order, particularly the DNC, which is about, you know, 10 years behind modern politics. And it's, it's frustrating because there's, um, I, I don't see how a poll can really gauge uh, genuine support at, at this stage of the debate. It's not like they're filtering out, you know, how politically active are you in May of 2019? I mean, the the actual 2020 election is a year and a half out. And um, right. so, I mean, people are going to hear, oh, who are you supporting? They're going to go to who they know. And obviously you can't support somebody you don't know, but the value of that kind of poll at this this stage it's just it's i mean you don't you don't in theory need to have a poll at all ever it's it's one election it doesn't you know you don't measure you don't measure who's who's winning at a, a stage in an NFL game that doesn't count for anything who was leading right. after the first quarter and i mean that's you know somewhat of a pedantic argument but if you're going to use it as a qualifier to exclude people the fact of the matter is you've got a 20 person there's 20 people who are on the vast majority of which were people aren't going to be able to list in two years, maybe even a year from now. Right. And what, what matters now are ideas. And with all these just forgettable, uh, century, we, people complain about the last debate. You only got, uh, people only got a couple minutes, but even then, you've got the, all, that's all they had to say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, Mike represents uh, anti-war. Where is the candidate on that stage? And as as Senator Gravel has said, uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie Sanders and even to some extent, Elizabeth Warren will talk about military spending. They'll talk about, you know, what's going on in Yemen, but they're not uh, hardcore anti-imperialist candidates. And he is. And that represents a significant um, a, a portion of the electorate. So to pretend that because he doesn't get 1% in the polls that he's not polled in, if, if they literally said the anti-war candidate, Mike Gravel, he would just get 5% automatically on every single poll, but the polls are biased. It's, it's really, I mean, we know the system is rigged. And I think that the most interesting thing now, this week will be um, when the DNC decides the top 20. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, what Gravel's team, which is led by uh, two 18-year-olds uh, in New York, will um, decide to do if he is put on, you know, neglected, uh, not put on the stage. I mean, there's a few things. I, you know, my dream scenario is this debate is on CNN, and I really dislike Fox, but the one uh, exception I would make is if you could uh, hold a two-day uh, concert for Flint featuring anti-war politicians and uh, cool musicians, and it's a fundraiser for Flint, and it's streamed on Fox News at the exact same time as the CNN debates. Because I think, you know, the way to start breaking the system is to use elements of it against each other. CNN and Fox going head-to-head -head would just rob CNN of a bunch of its ratings, 
Um, and I think that's at this point the only thing that these people understand. You basically have two private corporations, CNN and the DNC, determining whether you get to hear from the presidential campaigns, um, even if they've reached these exceptionally difficult thresholds like 65,000 unique donors. It's not just donations. It's not like somebody went on there and just pounded a dollar over and over. This is 65,000 people who actually pulled out their credit card and put their information into Act Blue. And for that to not be respected by the DNC is unconscionable. So, you know, what do we do? I think there are, there are ways to get Mike's message out there. There are ways to call attention to the, uh, the, uh, unjust way that we're, you know, picking who's allowed to uh, have a yeah. voice in the presidential debate. Especially CNN is hosting this debate. Uh, Senator Gravel has been left off of uh, all the polls. Yeah. And it's just so insulting. I, what I love about this campaign is just the contrast. You have Senator Gravel, who I mean, his his reading of the Pentagon Papers in in 1971, if you're not familiar with that whole thing, you should totally read about it because it's Probably the the most iconic moment in the Senate of the past 50 years, the one thing that people really or somebody showed some spy. The Senate is so worthless now. And I know Senator Gravel is running on a platform to change the way they conduct business. But I remember just thinking of him constantly this past uh, fall with the Kavanaugh hearings. You get the Democratic senators throwing themselves up in arms. And I was saying the whole time, look, there are procedural um, games you can play. It's just it's not going to be pretty. You can. For all the people throwing up uh, their arms about this man, there was no effort to just lead a filibuster to on on some other legislative issue just at the the moment where it was you were able to do it stage. You know, it it wouldn't look pretty. You'd have people in there for uh, upwards uh, multiple days holding the fort. You could swap out the senators while people needed to take a nap or something. It's it's a really it's it's a it's a ugly option, but they didn't even try. They just bent over and just let let this uh, happen with just uh, all the outrage was reserved for cable news. It was ridiculous. Right. I mean, I think that we're very much like that, uh, you know, the frog in the pot that, uh, as I as I mentioned, you know, Senator Gravel debated several times in 2008. There was a, a debate um, sponsored. It was a I think it was sponsored by um, the Equality Federation and uh, LGBT uh, channel yeah, logo. Um, logo. Yeah. And he was uh, he was the only maybe him and maybe Kucinich as well, but Gravel was the outspoken uh, proponent of marriage equality, full marriage equality. And, uh, and the, and the big candidates like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and uh, Joe Biden were not, and they were going to exclude him from the debate. And he pitched a fit and got in and was able to talk about his actual support for the legal rights of, um, you know, non-cis couples. And he, um, is like that on a whole bunch of issues. In this this debate, I, his big um, thing that I think really helps him stand out is that he's for sex worker rights. He's against SESTA and FOSTA and believes that uh, people who choose to work in sex work should, you know, not be discriminated against. And the establishment, one, doesn't want to hear it. And two, how much have we changed in just uh, 12 years that in 2008, he got to debate several times. And in 2020, they're going to not even let him debate once. Now, the other thing is, what if the Gravel campaign decided to just keep going? Because 
Um, now that 65,000 donors are there, it's pretty easy to get to 130,000 donors. However, for the second debate, second set of debates, so there's two debates with one set of qualifications and then another two debates coming up in September with another set of qualifications, that set of qualifications is higher on the polling. And so they can keep Mike out no matter what, because uh, they're requiring on polls that don't include him. Yeah, it's it's totally ridiculous, and uh, especially on uh, LGBT. And we're letting it happen. I mean, that's the hard thing is like, you know, it's the same thing you said about the Senate is like, you know, in the 70s, like Mike Ravel is like reading the Pentagon Papers into the record and risking arrest under, you know, he could have been tried for sedition. And here we are in 2020 or 2019, 2018, and the Democrats just kind of roll over like, oh, you want border funding? Well, Mike, Mike Pence says everyone's going to get treated well. And then a week later, Mike Pence is at the border like, you know, side eyeing uh, people making making, you know, freaking out Fox News viewers that there's brown men that are coming into our country. And reality is that there are less people coming in than there were during the Obama years when we didn't um, do these kinds of concentration camp holding facilities that enrich private prison contracts. Yeah, I mean, Trump ran his closing argument in 2018 was about a, a migrant caravan that Fox News had decided was going to be the new star of their programming. For, right, for the, right. Which, which we never, yeah, we never heard about it afterward. Some, we never heard about it afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, and and the, the the problem we have, and this is why someone like Mike Ravel is so important, because he's he's speaking truth to power at as eighty at eighty nine as a you know former two term senator, someone you know he points out he's he's gone bankrupt before. He like just doesn't give a shit. Like he'll say whatever he's going to say. And what's actually kind of hilarious is the one thing he didn't want the campaign to do is use the word fuck. And you know it's eighteen year olds, so if they get to use the word fuck, they do it. And <laughs> The, the times that uh, the campaign, you know, said fuck Tucker Carlson um, when rejecting an appearance on his show, when they said fuck the House Democrats, when the House Democrats were attacking um, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez's chief of staff this past week. Um, those are, you know, just standout moments in the campaign because everyone's afraid to say it. And, you know, two 18 year olds are, are happy to cuss online. They really are the future. They've got. I loved. Uh, I watched the the celebratory Twitch stream the other day, which yeah, you speak about. Uh, you know, Joe Biden. They have him like sequestered for ninety nine percent of the time. They roll him out for these. It's right. the same thing as Hillary Clinton, who, you know, we there, it's a rabbit hole of uh, exactly why she lost. But I think number one needs to be she was a terrible candidate, horrible at campaigning. Joe Biden. And no press conferences. No. She basically didn't talk to the press for a whole and year. And you see Mike Gravel on, on Twitch, and he said, uh, and this will be great for uh, our listeners in particular, he just unequivocally says trans rights, transgender rights are yes. human rights. And you see people like Julian Castro or Cory Booker up on the stage who have this carefully scripted uh, pandering to us, you know, Julian Castro says, you know, trans females need to worry about getting pregnant. I can't get pregnant. He's talking about trans men. Uh, he clarified that later, but the whole thing, he just stepped all over his message. And then all the transgender people who complained about it were like, oh, at least you mentioned you like, shut up and take your scraps. Oh, wow. Um, and then Cory Booker <laughs> with his, uh, he goes, African-American transgender Americans. And it's like, do you, I was like, do you just make that one up on the fly, buddy? I mean, it's just like. And then, yeah. and then the, the he's got his people who are tweeting out what he said, and it's corrected. 
And it's just like, it's so fake and phony. And Senator Gravel has supported LGBT rights uh, for a very long time. And it just, the way he speaks about it, you, you, there's no whiff, there's no, there's no scriptedness. And there shouldn't be. It's not like this stuff is hard. You either believe it or you don't. Right. And I think the, the really important thing about Senator Gravel, and I like to say, you know, I, th- this is what I try to do as well, but it's if you have privilege, you need to use it for the less privileged, the marginalized. And I think what you're, what you're getting to when someone like William Castro or Cory Booker stumbles over talking about trans rights, they are, you know, kind of showing that they probably don't spend time with the community. They probably don't talk about it with their staff. They're probably not thinking about it that much, but they want to make sure they get it in there because they're, they're trying to be good Democrats. And Gravel is like sometimes in politic. If you listen to him, he's, uh, you know, particularly in 2008 where people were like, there's a lot of clips from 2008 where he was perfect on the issues, but they're a little bit not as smooth as you would talk in, in 2019. Uh, and it's because he cared about things before they were even in the common yeah. vernacular. You know, he was talking about um, the issues of marginalized people, particularly how he talks about, like, how often do you hear people talk about the people who get killed by our bombs, the people who get killed by our wars, the people who get killed by our health yeah, policies? Exactly. Um, and he's like, not only does he care about people who are suffering in the U.S. He cares about people who are suffering throughout the world. And to me, that's like showing – that's using your American privilege. You know, we talk about using your white privilege or your, your cis male privilege, uh, but we don't talk enough about using our American privilege to stand up for the disadvantaged around the world. And that's what we're seeing, you know, in American politics now is very clear that um, people like – Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump have massive amounts of American privilege. They're oligarchs. They're, you know, they, they are people who, who, you know, can spend whatever they want, whenever they want. Their family members can spend whatever they want, wherever they want. Um, as it's been said, I think it was John Robb, who's a kind of a conflict theorist that I like. Um, you know, you get to the point where you can travel all over the world and everything is the same for you. You know, you can go to Saudi Arabia and it doesn't matter if you're a woman who can't drive because you have a driver anyway, right? Uh, wherever you go, um, you don't shop for your own groceries. You don't, you know, uh, you don't have to worry about your health care. And we've got this massive divide. And, and Mike Ravel is someone who stands with, uh, with regular people around the world. And, and in this moment when the administration, when Trump is tweeting about ICE raids just to scare people, like they're not even really happening sometimes. He's just trying to scare people, trying to freak people out. It's like psychological warfare through social media. And Trump is just a master of it. And then you have, you know, a, a really feckless uh, mainstream resistance. And I think people are waking up, but I wish we could get Gravel onto the stage because I think he would hasten that, that awakening because people need to hear the angry grandpa, you know, the angry left-wing grandpa. That's our great grandpa. I mean, what's amazing to me also is this campaign represented so many generations, you know, like I have, um, I have children who are, who are in their teens and I have uh, a baby and Mike Gravel is 89, and this, teen, this campaign was being run by teenagers. Basically, the only people not fighting the political revolution actively are the boomers. And I'm not saying that there aren't boomers who are, but um, there's a big problem where a lot of people who had a fairly fat economic situation after World War II 
um, and are now in their 60s are, uh, you know, pretty fat and happy and pretty conservative, even if they're Democrats. And more of them need to wake up and join people like Mike Gravel, people like David and Henry and Elijah, the Gravel teens, um, you know, uh, people who are who are fighting against war, who are fighting for the rights of, of sex workers, for the rights uh, of trans folks who are fighting for the rights of immigrants and of people who don't live in the United States. Another thing that I, you know, you don't really hear a lot of politicians talk. They'll mention, oh, we spent six, seven trillion on, on the Iraq war, but nobody. And it's something that Senator Gravel has been talking about for, for a long time. Why we spend the amount of money that we spend military, the, the defense budget, hundreds of billions of dollars for what? I mean, we, 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 we don't, America is not going to get invaded. And this is that's like another pedantic argument. Nobody's talking about the amount of money we pour into all of this stuff. And then you want to talk about Medicare for all. Oh, we don't have any money. Infrastructure. We don't have any money. These are things, you know, you, you increase public infrastructure. Wage, yeah, it, it, these are these are issues that affect uh, working class people. But the people in Congress who have all the private transport, they don't care that the bus system stinks. They don't care that. We don't right. have, you know, you bullet trains in South Korea, all over Europe, everywhere. Getting from New- San Francisco to Los Angeles should not be this, you know, tremendous pain in the ass. And nobody wants to talk. Nobody right, wants to talk about right. that. <laughs> nobody. It's ridiculous. Well, well, that's why they don't want Mike Cravel's voice. And I think it's really, you know, the DNC is, as as we found out in the lawsuits around 2016, or the lawsuit, the DNC considers itself a private corporation that can do whatever it wants. It's not democratic. The, the Democrats, uh, when we say Democrat, we often are thinking about like, oh, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm registered as an, you know, not registered with a party, whatever. But really what they are is they are corporations and the DNC is just as active in vote suppression as the Republicans. They just want to suppress left wing votes. And the way they do it is by shutting down those voices. And also they, there's some pandering, as you pointed out, and there's some pandering to the ground. You know, it's like, oh, you know, DNC, oh, congratulations. You did so well. Sorry you didn't make the polls, you know. Um, but if you go to microvel.org, um, the headline on the website is war. What is it good for? And then it has a counter and it shows five and a half trillion dollars spent on regime change wars since 2001. And that's, you know, the authorization of military force that has basically allowed this endless uh, war against whoever the American president and the Pentagon decide is is an enemy, and you know that five and a half trillion dollars is something <laughs> that uh, left wing candidates, whether from the Democratic Party or Independent or Green Party or other socialist candidates, have been talking about for a long time. But that message is shut out, and here you have a Democrat, Mike Gravel, being shut out by the Democratic Party um, because you know because they want. Uh, they don't want candidates they consider to be not mainstream up there because they will talk about things like war spending. And this, there's a report that just came out about Nancy Pelosi having uh, $400,000 in contributions from contractors who profit from uh, expansion of detention centers and from ICE. And that's this, that's the way the system goes. Um, ben Ray Lujan, who used to be the head of the DCCC, which is the uh, corporate political committee that runs uh, uh, House elections yeah, for the Democrats. Um, he took money from the GEO group uh, year after year. And GEO is one of the most evil 
uh, of the uh, private prison contractors profiting hugely from migrant detention. And it was founded by a radical anti-communist uh, right-winger like in the 50s, like a crazy like CIA con- contractor. And they've continued. They're a global company creating prisons all over the world. And here's like one of the top Democrats in America taking money from them, still hasn't given it back. And now he's running for Senate. I um, a year ago started investigating Democrats that were taking GeoGroup money and a couple of them returned it um, within a week of my Medium article because I just trolled them on Twitter until they did. <laughs> but Ben Ray Lujan has refused to, to even acknowledge that he's been taking GeoGroup money. And there's no one calling him out on it. There's no one doing reporting, even though he thinks that he's going to be the next senator from New Mexico. Right? New Mexico, right? I mean, it's nuts. It's like we live in some kind of – I think the only thing that, uh, you know, sometimes hard to – you feel like you're living in a surreality because of some of these actions. Well, especially, you know, like abortion is uh, considered kind of a, a wedge issue, even though upwards of uh, 70% of Americans support Roe v. Wade. Uh, LGBT rights is considered kind of a wedge issue, right versus left. Immigration, right versus left. Two stark positions. Military spending is apparently kind of pretty much a bipartisan issue. And if you if you speak right. out, you're... Uh, shunned completely i mean it, it people laugh when uh candidates like marianne williamson talk about peace and love why don't we talk about do we uh i, I know senator gravel in the uh 2008 debate just this wasted treasure of of american tax dollars going to support the bombs that we drop on countless people in the middle east you don't even know their names the media doesn't report on uh who gets killed in the process and for what? They're not they're not coming over here. They're not going to invade us. This is just ridiculous. Fox News wants to talk about immigration invasions while they uh you know uh, prop up the the defense spending. It's just it doesn't make any sense and we have this this only this small sliver of the democratic primary field cares about this stuff. You got people like Tulsi and Marianne uh, Williamson and uh, Elizabeth Warren, to a lesser extent, I guess, and then Bernie, and that's and and Senator Gaval, and that's pretty much it. And they want to just silence these people. I don't even. I mean, by the by the third by the next cut by September, they'll probably just have uh, Senator Warren and uh, Bernie, and that'll be it. And- <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing with the with the next um, debate cut. I think that that's where uh, it becomes even more important to get Senator Gravel or Marianne Williamson uh, onto the stage to shake things up and talk about things that are different. I mean, I think um, the reactions to Williamson on the first debate were mixed, but she got a lot of attention. A lot of people discovered her. And the fact that she was saying we have to meet Trump's hate, which which is like an act. Do you know what I mean? He uses hate yeah. like like a um, a state. You know, it's it's part of his uh, stage presence. And she's saying, "Oh, I'm going to use love," and that's like a pretty. You know, it's not only is it radical, but it's it's beautiful and it needs to be heard. And I, um, one, I, I enjoyed her debate uh, performance and and how different it was. And I also, you know, the fact that her. Her campaign was the only one that truly stepped up for Mike when we were about to, you know, uh, we were close to hitting the deadline, but she did it well before. And what was funny was there was this moment where um, her campaign sent out this email and 
we got a bump from it, but it wasn't as big as the, the teens had hoped. And I have worked on a lot of campaigns and I know this thing about urgency and they were starting to tweet out a lot of things like, what are we going to do with the money after we don't yeah. make it? You know, or if we make it, what are we going to do? And I was like, guys, like, we got to stop, like, acting like a campaign's winding down. We have a week left to qualify. We need to do it. No matter – because at the end of the day, the DNC, if we had not gotten 65,000 donations, I have the signed letter from the founder of Act Blue, which has 7 million Democratic donors. It's the largest uh, donor database ever built. And it's uh, it's a bigger infrastructure, more powerful infrastructure than the Democratic Party, than any one element of the Democratic Party. It's probably the strongest element because until we have full public financing of elections, you can't you have to raise money. Um, and, you know, the, the founder of Act Blue signed the form, the DNC form saying we've qualified. Right. If we didn't have that, the DNC could just say, oh, you know, they did a great thing. Now it's very clear that they want to exclude a 70, an 89-year-old former senator from the debate despite him meeting the qualifications. And we did that because, one, Marianne Williamson, two, people having faith uh, at the end, making a big push, <clears throat> doing everything they could. And I'm, like, so grateful for everyone who texted a friend, sent, a, you know, a, a messenger message to a friend. I think we— and Tinder messages— <laughs> yeah, I think we taught Tinder messages. I did see a post like that. It was hilarious. Somebody was just mass tendering. Yeah. Uh, it must have been any any, any guy uh, who'd, who'd who'd responded gets a uh, donate to Mike Gravel. Um, <laughs> the um, beautiful. It's that's great. That's uh, you know. Well, it taught a lot of people about fundraising, you know, and brought a lot of people into the process. But that's where I think what the DNC is doing is so dangerous for the Democratic Party, because if you ask candidates to bring people into the process and then you betray that uh, that process and that trust, it's a dangerous thing. You know, 65,000 donors are now being disfranchised by the DNC. Yeah. And I mean, this is let's not forget, this is the party of superdelegates. Disenfranchised. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they tried to ordain Hillary before. uh a single vote had been cast. They put the debates on Sundays and Saturday. They had two Saturday debates. They're the least Democratic thing ever. Who's watching network television on uh, on a Saturday? And it right. it's totally uh, – it makes no sense. And it's frustrating because the Gravel teens, there's uh, – I, I tweeted uh, about it a couple days ago. This is all going to make a really great indie movie someday. But it's true. This is like right. – this is really inspirational. What they've done – is an achievement we haven't really seen before. They've harnessed, um, they, they, they've harnessed the, uh, you know, decades long messages of a tr- truly one of the great senators of the past 50 or so years. And they've, uh, tried to put forth that message in a way that, yeah, okay, the Senator Gravel is 89. His ideas are ones that have existed for, uh, decades and they need to be, they need to be talked about. This is something bigger. These 20, this 20 candidate, uh, debate stage is going to focus so little time on actual issues. They're going to, you know, hurl mud at each other, whine about Trump. And then, you know, whoever do some, do some stunt to sell t-shirts that they'll kind of take back the next day. Well, the other thing that really bothers me about this fundraising thing is the senators in this race all have a leg up. They can use, they can transfer money from their Senate campaigns to their presidential, right. which they can then use to buy in the congressional campaign. Yeah, They can buy email lists. 
donors. And then they can get this stuff so easily. You want to get like, w- there is no semblance of institutional support that uh, the Gravel campaign had to get this over the edge. You had people like Marianne Williamson, you had people like Susan Sarandon uh, tweeting and they got it done. I mean, what they did is so uh, unbelievably impressive that, you know, whatever happens with this uh, debate nonsense, there's really can't take that away. And it's just it's so frustrating to have this institutional structure. Look at these kids who want to want to plot a different course and spit yeah. on them and spit on them. I mean, it is really disgusting. It is uh, it is kind of unconscionable. And you speak of like buying lists if you. Uh, research what the candidates are talking about, trying to meet this debate threshold. Um, the, 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 the donor piece is more controllable than the polling piece because polling is about whether those three people, uh, you know, say your name or say yes when they hear your name, right? Um, and, uh, you know, other usually reflects more than five candidates put together, right? Um, and, in this case, we had Amy Klobuchar uh, spending up to $100 to get a dollar donor to work on that qualification. You also had, um, you know, there are definitely list brokers that you can use. And it was something that in the Gravel campaign we considered early on. The issue is they are expensive. As you said, if you have, a, you know, $2 million in your House or Senate campaign that you can move over, they're, they're very affordable. Um, and those those lists, I know that other candidates purchase them because this is my field. Um, we chose not to. And the reason we chose not to is because uh, if you're not running long term, like Mike Gravel is running to get on the stage and to get anti-war and anti-imperialism and trans rights and sex worker rights and um, e- human rights globally onto the stage. Um, but because we weren't going to run, you know, all the way through the primaries, it's harder to raise money off that list. So we weren't going to pay 10 to 1 or 100 right. to 1 to get those donors. We had to do them one at a time, friend to friend, um, incredible feat of grassroots politics. And I have to say, only 15 candidates have qualified through donations. And to my knowledge, there's not that many more candidates who ever got 65,000 donations on ActBlue. So you have people like Bernie Sanders, who I think has 2.2 million donors. You have like um, Beto O'Rourke, who has from his Senate race against Ted Cruz, like 700,000. John Ossoff, I think, is in the hundreds of thousands. And after that, it, you know, is pretty scarce because what you see when you look at how Republicans and Democrats uh, fund their elections is 65 to 95, 97 percent of the money comes from PAC donors. Because the PACs just line up and they give you $5,000 and you get $5,000 from maybe 400 PACs. And then you, that's all you need. You don't have to actually go out and, uh, build support from the American people. So I think it's, I think for the DNC, it's playing with fire to be so cavalier about trying to push these teens and Mr. Senator Gravel off stage. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I really like the policy of, uh, ranked choice voting, which, um, mm-hmm. Is a, is another very grassroots because I mean, people who are uh, having to choose between supporting Senator Gravel or you know Tulsi Gabbard or Bernie, um, that that kind of person all wants a very uh, separate set of ideas. Then I mean, I, I'm not 100 percent sure what what uh, Joe Biden is is running on 
Uh, you listen to him. Uh, he's written on the uh, VP of ice cream. Yeah, he's talking about how, uh, you know, uh, single payer is going to ruin us. And then Obama, uh, President Obama, in a speech uh, the other day, was talking about Medicare for all as this great idea. And you're sitting there being like, right. your, your VP doesn't agree. And he's talking about... Um, but he spent all this time saying, don't worry, I'm going to go reassure our uh, our allies. And I, to be honest, I don't really care what our allies think of us. I want to fi- I, I do want to fix the United States. Um, it's not like we should, you know, poo poo on NATO. But um, one of the ideas that Trump was originally running on was that NATO, uh, we were pumping too much money in. And I, I, I didn't really I, I kind of agreed with that. Problem is, he gets into office and all of a sudden he's controlled by uh you know, he just lets the the Republicans do whatever they want with the the military spending. Well, and and Russia, right? I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous that you have a, a nationalist president who's anti NATO, and then he sides with Russia on foreign policy. Um, I'm not. Uh, I think that uh, one of the biggest dangers has and always will be their internal dangers. There are definitely troll farms that are more successful than the. Um, I think it's called the, the Internet Re- Research a- called? Internet Research Agency. Yeah, Internet yeah. Research Agency. Yeah, I mean, and there there is the you know the MAC, which is the the um, pro Iranian regime change. They want their leader to be the the leader of Iran, and so there they have their own troll farms in I believe it's in Albania. Um, but we have very active troll farms. It was during the Bernie election. Um, I believe it. I, I'm not going to name names because I don't have the sources right in front of me. But one of the more aggressive Bernie trolls was discovered to be running like 60 accounts through Hootsuite and <clears throat> using those accounts to amplify allies and herself. And it's interesting because we we don't think enough about organizing online. And that's what the Gravel for me. You know, it's like why did I, as like a you know 40 year old uh, political consultant get involved with the Gravel campaign and sacrifice a lot of time to do it. For me, I believe that online organizing, you know, it, it really, um, it's not for me a job. It's an ideology. Like I do a job to, to further my ideology in the world, which is an ideology of empathy, of human rights, of, um, you know, treating others the way you want to be treated. And online organizing is something that, um, I think threatens the establishment. And so it's downplayed. It's not part of the establishment playbook, even though they, they will do it. They will have the Twitter accounts. They will have, you know, Beto in the, in the dentist chair, getting his cleaning and, you know, (laughs) taking pictures or whatever. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren drinking a beer, but then you see things that are much more authentic, like, um, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez just turning on a live stream while cooking dinner and talking to people on that live stream, right? So much, uh, actually having authentic back, you know, real people talking, um, you know, doing things that you have to do as a human being while, uh, allowing people that time with you that, that, that is difficult to get while you're there at Capitol Hill. And the Gravel campaign was organized online, is organized online and is showing what, people can do when you organize online. And I think that, you know, like Speaker Pelosi would much rather, you know, that people don't tweet. She literally said that to her caucus, don't tweet bad things about each other, you know, and it's because they want this iron control uh, over their parties. And then meanwhile, Trump is using the internet. So one of the things, um, slight digression, but if you study what's going on online, 
Trump and the Republicans are much, much more successful. And part of that is the fake news thing. Um, part of that, it's like the Russian influence just pales in comparison to what's actually happening, which is right wing oligarchs who make hundreds of millions of dollars when they get these massive tax breaks and when they get regulatory breaks, when they get to do things like mine asteroids. You know, there literally is like a massive corporate agenda that pushes a lot of Trump's policies and they push the Republican base through um, not just urgent online content, but um, really emotional online content that riles people up. And the yeah. Democrats, um, Marion Williamson is the only one who's talking about use the power of love to fight the power of hate because love is a powerful force that gets people to do things and share things and sacrifice. But, you know, hate works really well, too. And that's Trump the, on Facebook in particular, which is the largest social network, um, Republicans have about three times more engagement than Democrats. And that um, uh, is really a massive problem because people get radicalized by the internet, you know, for good or ill. Yeah, and so many of the um, right-wing publications like Breitbart and uh, The Daily Wire are, uh, they have this venture capital funding. They're funded by these people who get uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in tax breaks by funding them. And the left doesn't have anything comparable because the left typically is going to raise taxes. And so you only get ideological donations, whereas Daily Caller can get funded. And it is, uh, it beats CNN like all the time in, in, in daily engagement. And that's, um, that funding is not rooted in it being a profitable publication. It's rooted in it fighting for an agenda that makes its donors yeah, money. Yeah, it's just like a write-off, essentially. It, uh, mm-hmm, it makes mm-hmm, money in the mm-hmm. long run. And it, you know, if, if there was some big, uh, you know, left-wing venture capital who was wa- wanted to, you know, finance a, a studio for me with a producer. I mean, I, we're, I'm in talks with um, Marianne Williamson's campaign to have her on this podcast. And right. I just know from like literary experience, you know, my agent handles all of that. If I had a producer to book all of this stuff, a uh, nice, nice, fancy uh, L.A. studio like uh, that little little twat Ben Shapiro has. I mean, <laughs> it'd be, it, we're talking a whole different story. And um, right. one other question I wanted to, I, I was listening to one of Senator Gravel's um, interviews and he brought up a really good idea about the, he brought up a great point about the notion of sanctions as not, uh, as being a sign of not only just kind of American arrogance to, you know, sanction another country, but just the fact that like, especially with North Korea, Kim Jong-un goes to bed at night with a nice full belly and his people are getting screwed over. And I look at like what the sort of long-term plan with that is for America. And I, I, I think of the sanctions there as uh, I, I think Senator Gravel's right. It's deeply immoral. Yeah, it's, it's deeply immoral and it is a form of warfare, but it's a form of warfare that hurts the, the, the citizens, not the leaders. And it's crazy because there's like, sanctions on North Korea, but he'll go over and do a big photo op with the, with the dictator, right? So uh, allowing Kim Jong-il to continue <clears throat> to, um, to get the kind of um, support and PR uh, that he needs to maintain his power over a starving populace. And it's the same thing. And in Venezuela, it's slightly different, but it's uh, you know, because he's not coddling the, uh, the leader of Venezuela, but we are starving their people. And it's just how, how do also, how do we expect like people to, uh, function in their democracy or, 
or overturn a dictator in their own country if we're actively starving them. So it's either like we're starving people or we're using drones to drop bombs on them. And as you pointed out, these are people that don't that don't threaten us. And, you know, Gravel's uh, really radical point, uh, which I want him to say on the debate stage, is uh, that we should um, uh, vacate every uh, non-U.S. base, every place in the world that we have a a military base. Uh, We should turn those over to the U.N., but first we have to reconstitute the U.N. so that five countries can't veto the rest of the world. Yeah, it's deeply undemocratic. And I, I don't understand. We have these bases. We have them in Germany. We have them in Japan. We have them in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that, like, at the end of the week, they, you know, the, the Pentagon would have to put out a report to the American people explaining how those bases made their week better. Right. And it seems stupid, right. but I love it. but I, I I don't you know I I want I want those closed and I want a, a really decent rail system. I read uh, I have a uh, my background I have a master's in English literature. You'd read about people taking horse drawn carriages from New York to San Francisco and making it in like a matter of you know a week and a half or so. And I'm like you know honestly you take a train that same way now it's basically the same time. That's 1800. What the yeah. hell is going on here? And how many do you have to change, yeah. right? Yeah, it's not like yeah, and the fr- and Am- Amtrak Joe Biden, he's got no plan. Uh, it, yeah, he likes riding it, but apparently not funding it. Uh, it doesn't. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, and even honestly, like like just simple things like um, internet access, which Senator Gravel is talking about. It is so hard for a person um, who, who's trying to get a job is using things like local library. We see this all the time in, uh, in, yes. in Long Beach. People are trying their hardest to get upward mobility. They don't have a cell phone or, you know, not not a, a consistent one. They're tr- trying to get job applications through that stuff. They're limited to like an hour's worth of Internet. Um, these people aren't sitting, uh, you know, sitting in the library all day looking at uh, Tumblr. They're trying to get jobs. And we make it so right. hard for people to to have any upward mobility. And honestly, the thing that really bugs me about where we're at right now in the 2020 election is it feels like 2016 was just uh, not very long ago. And we're talking about the same issues we talked about then. And I'm so they're going, you know, it would have been nice if we'd had a couple of these Congresses, uh, you know, in between that we could have solved some of this, these issues. Uh, it's just this perpetual election cycle, and and the ideas that people like Senator Graval are trying to put forth never get talked about, and it's just Mueller, Mueller, Mueller on MSNBC all oh my day. God. <laughs> the great Russian caper. I've I've read the Mueller report. Trump's not. I I we did uh, our second episode was on impeachment. It's not happening. And this this just fantasy. They're just they're. Uh, there's so much more we could have uh, we could be talking about than these, you know, uh, every every hour we have, uh, you know, an A block of just the same nonsense again. And it's just- well, I think that the the I am very pro impeachment because I think that if you put the spotlight on how Trump is using his uh, business empire yeah. and his friends and, you know, and passing laws that directly benefit them doing financial deals that directly benefit himself um the and and obstructing justice there is a lot to make people realize that just you know it's it's the scary thing is there are people out there who are kind of like 
not that politically active. They're not that politically engaged. Maybe they think Trump, oh, maybe he's a little bit racist, but he's good for the economy. Like there is, that's like an argument you're going to hear from Republicans. Yeah. And those folks, I think, are are somewhat persuadable if they realize that this guy is just running a massive scam on the country. But to get them politically engaged enough, you can't just talk about Russia and the Mueller, uh, the Mueller report. You have to actually dig into things like what's going on at the hotels, what's going on with the loans from different banks and from different foreign oligarchs. Um, and this is and local oligarchs, you yeah. know, it's um, exactly. there, there are big problems. And the, the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it because uh, anything that hurts the corporate oligarchy hurts the people who own the mainstream media channels. And so the rich uh, presenters uh, who fill these the airtime on these shows, um, you know, both on MSNBC and on Fox and, and you know, I'm sure it's a great discussion extent CNN, you know, Washington Post being owned by Amazon. Um, they don't want to rock the boat. And uh, I think the great thing is like the Gravel campaign showed that just with a Twitter account and two teens, um, you can, you can uh, to some extent, change the debate among the electorate. Now, the problem of us not reaching the people who do the polls uh, or who take the polls um, I think also changes if you if you pull more widely and as yeah. you said, not just landlines, not just older people. You've got to get like the internet is real people. It's a lot of real people. It's where we find our mates. You know, dating is mostly on the internet now. It's where we bank. It's where we um, get educated. And so, for the political parties to be so behind mainstream America, um, you know, the Gravelians like this is just the first time this is going to happen. It will continue to happen. Yeah, I, I really, I identified a lot with uh, their message. I grew up actually. Uh, I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is only about fifteen minutes away from where they're headquartered, um, right over the border in New York. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and I, I grew up around these. Uh, all these bankers and stuff. Um, when the fiscal crisis happened, people were crying in high school about, you know, losing their second and third home. And you're just looking at them. And it, it, it's kind of weird. So, you know, you, you want to have like empathy, but you're just like, okay, you're going to be fine. Look at, you, there's tons of people who didn't get a bailout. And what I would see is a lot of my friends as parents, whether they were Republican or Democrat, uh, they had the same set of views. And it, it really, it was kind of a, we do these uh, these elections every couple of years is the sort of uh, it's a hot potato of uh, who gets to control what chamber. Very little gets changed. And the, the, it's so frustrating because um, I, I try to talk. Uh, I talked with um, people on the, the I, I wound up on Beto's uh, LGBTQ press list and I responded to one of their emails uh-huh. saying your legislative agenda for equality is like, great. What about Mitch McConnell? And I got this reply that was just, you know, double speak. It didn't, it, it, it was like Star Trek techno babble. It didn't mean anything. And it's like, this is great, but we need something bigger. And the real beauty of, uh, Senator Gravel is despite being 89 in the twilight of his, uh, political career, he's hammering home these messages that carry a, a degree of authenticity that really just reflects decades of, uh, believing in this stuff. And he's combined that with this, unbelievable grassroots energy of david oaks and henry williams and and they mm-hmm. they've harnessed this and really done something uh spectacular that uh i mean you guys whatever whatever happens tomorrow and uh whatever happens on the debate stage next week uh give them hell but uh this has been 
you know, an amazing, this has been my favorite campaign to watch. I'll be talking about this for years to come. It's, uh, to, to see it, to see an icon like Senator Gravel come back and just preach, uh, this, this simple message of end war. Let's deal with stuff here. Let's be fair to people. Let's stop going after the marginalized. Let's go, stop going after immigrants, LGBTQ people, uh, sex workers, all of that. It's uh, it's really refreshing, and um, I really I really appreciate you coming on, Adriel. This has been a, a really uh, a fascinating conversation. I've really uh, had a, had a great time talking about um, all all of these issues. And uh, do you wanna do you wanna talk about what, what what's next for the Gravel campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think people should folk uh, you know pay attention. Thank you, Ian, so much for having me. This was a real pleasure. Um, I think folks should check out uh, the Microvel Twitter account for kind of breaking news. Uh, you know, I think the the lads will be updating uh, folks on you know what's going on with the DNC and what our strategy will be going forward, um, and you know whether or not they'll be seeking the spot in the September debates. Whether we'll do something uh, an alternative um, uh, event, uh, probably in Flint. Um, so just stay peeled to that. Um, the campaign is on Facebook, is on Instagram. It's also microbell.org. Um, if you donate a dollar, you will get on the email list, I think. Although, um, uh, I think the best thing is to kind of stay peeled to that Twitter account. I, I would also recommend, I know I bought some, they sell, uh, the greatest campaign merch I've seen this year is, uh, the Pentagon mm-hmm. paper, rolling papers. They're phenomenal. Uh, I don't even, I usually use a vape, but, uh, I, I recommend them. I, I, I've been rolling, I've been rolling more joints than I have in 20 years. Uh, and there's a second edition, which is, uh, which is when they go low, we get high. And, like. uh, to send Henry Kissinger to a place where he's belonged for, uh, decades. He, Neocon air. Yeah. Microvel's ready to run Neocon air to, over straight to the head. Yeah. Totally, uh, totally ridiculous. But, uh, Adriel, it's been a, a real pleasure. I, uh, I wish wish the Gravel campaign the best. I uh, there's anything I can do to help. I uh, really really believe in uh, th- these things of the future, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a pleasure. And to our listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 